Well, you heard Pat say uh, there is going to be a question and answer time, a little Q&A on Romans 9. Uh, if you would like to submit your questions, you can even do that through the app. Uh, if, you go to the, if you open it up, you can uh, right there start submitting your question. Uh, it'll get right to us. And on May the 4th, that Wednesday night, we're going to be having a little discussion time. So you make sure and get that done and, and come be a part of all that God's doing. And, and, and this is a discipling time for all of us. Uh, Mount Romans is a high peak. I mean, it is a mountain we've been on now for a little bit of time. In fact, uh, we would even probably say that we have kind of begun to reach that pinnacle of uh, of Romans 9. And uh, it's not a steep pinnacle, but it is kind of more of a, once you get there, kind of a little plateau, we're going to kind of go up. And over the last several weeks, we've just kind of chosen to rest, to look around, to look at some implications, not try to rush through because there is so much there. And, and I don't know if you're like me or not in this, but man, I, I have had so many questions, uh, questions that I've been walking through, questions that I've been talking through, questions that I've just been kind of sitting back saying, Lord, would you speak to me? And, and one of the great things is, is that as I walk up and down the halls or people send an email or something, I'm seeing all kinds of godly conversations healthy questions about what it is that God is saying, what the Holy Spirit is teaching through Romans 8, 9, and we're going to see on into 10 some different things. And so I'm going to encourage you, continue, continue to continue to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, I'm wrestling with your word. Holy Spirit, I need you to teach me because, again, this is a wrestle with the Scripture that the Holy Spirit begins to confirm. It's not a fight between people. We want to always continue to remember that. It it does a pastor's heart good when we see and hear of people getting into the Word and beginning to to dive in and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. In in, um, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, I believe it is, the apostle Peter is writing, and he makes a little statement somewhere around chapter 3, verse 15 or 16, right in that area, where as he's writing, he says, now, now you know Paul, his words sometimes are very hard to understand. We, we question sometimes, what is it that Paul is saying? Well, today, I hope you find freedom that if you are bringing questions to the things that Paul is teaching, I hope that you, sta- you realize you stand in a long line of good company. Because the Apostle Peter even said, listen, these are difficult teachings. That Paul, he's a deep guy. And so we, we begin to walk through those types of things. Now, we're not going to rehash and go through the last several weeks. I do want to say this, though. If you have not been following or if you are just kind of dropping in here on today, you need to go back and you need to start looking at the end of Romans 8, 9, those types of things. You can watch those on the app, see what's been taught over the last three or four weeks. Because if, you're, if this is your very first Sunday here, you may look at uh, today and listen and go, what in the world? That dude is crazy. And I'm beginning to think that was Pat's idea by going to Brussels, just to be real honest with you. You know he's going to come back and go, listen, I don't know what that dude was saying. He's crazy anyway. 
So you guys hang on, all right? Listen, don't let him do that to me. Romans chapter 9, we're going to start looking over at verse 19. But before we do, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to speak to you who are followers of Christ in here real quick, all right? Uh, in this room, we have people who are following Christ. We have people who, who are on a journey. They're not yet surrendered their life to Christ. And they're trying to figure all this whole walk out. We, those of us who follow Christ, even in Romans 9, we're going, wait, wait, hold on. This is kind of mind-blowing. So I want to back up and kind of set the stage a little bit and help us, something that helps me. Whenever we as followers of Christ come to the Scripture, we have to come as a Christian with a Christian mindset and a biblical worldview, meaning this, as we come to Scripture, we must affirm that God's Word is holy, it is right, it is true, it is without error, it is infallible, it is wholly inspired writing by God through men to help us to understand and be uh, more cognizant of aspects about Him. So that even when we come and we find sections of Scripture where we go, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, uh, which... Uh, I'll be honest with you, my mind many times finds passages of Scripture where I say, God, I, I don't understand what it is that you're trying to say. I don't know how this works. I might even think in a fleshly mind, this is contradictory, but I do want you to hear this. The Word of God does not contradict. It would be a word that we would use called paradox. We're not able to understand it fully. It's not contradictory, but it is a paradox. And the reason it is a paradox because He is speaking as an infinite God as an infinite God speaking to someone, me specifically, and us generally, who have finite minds. And so we look at a slice, I mean, a very, if you think about going to your grocery store and you get your ham and you, they say, how do you want that sliced, razor thin, shaved off? I mean, it breaks apart when you try to pull it out of the package. Uh, that's about the sliver of our life in the scope of eternity. The scripture says that our time here is but a mist, but a vapor, and then we're gone. We have to think back and look at, like in Isaiah, when he says, listen, your ways, God, are not my ways. Your thoughts are higher. I cannot comprehend. Yet we do say, God, it's not contradictory, but here's what I do. God, I'm coming under your word, and I'm going to submit to it as truth. Though I don't understand, I proclaim that it is real and it is true. And help me, illuminate my eyes, Holy Spirit, so that I might see and understand what it is that you're trying to say. Over the last several weeks, many, many questions have been asked, and they are good questions. And I, I want to encourage you, keep asking questions. Someone who studies the Scripture, when I teach people how to study the Scripture, one of the very first things I teach them is that you've got to be a good questioner. You've got to be able to ask good questions. So ask questions. The Bible is full of people who ask questions. Now, the thing that we have to be careful about is, is, is the manner in which we ask our questions. Uh, God is always open for us to bring our, con our, our, our concerns, our, we don't understand. Help me to understand, Holy Spirit. Illuminate my mind. Open my eyes so that I might see. Rather than... God, I, we kind of getting God in a corner here where we're trying to ask him to vindicate his reasoning. Uh, Job, 
in the Old Testament. Job was a man, and the Scripture says in chapter 1 of Job that he was the most righteous man of all, and, and that Satan came before God and said, God, I know he's the most righteous man, but he only serves you because of all the things he's given, you've given him. If you'll let me tempt him, if you'll let me come after him, I promise you he'll turn his back on you. He'll curse you and die. He'll curse you. And God said, after a series of times, he said, listen, here's the thing. You cannot kill him. Well, uh, in chapter 1, a great calamity comes to Job. Job loses all his property, loses his house, loses his business, all his agricultural business. He ends up, 10 children end up dying. Medically, he is stricken with sores and boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, the Scripture says. His friends come to him, and rather than caring for him, they come to him and they begin to say, listen, what have you done? And they basically ridicule him. His wife ends up looking at him and said, Job, I don't understand. Why don't you curse God and die? Yet in all that, Job didn't. But Job did ask the ultimate question that we all ask. Basically, his question was, uh, his question was why, God? Why? Why has this happened? And we would ask it another way in today. We might say, why would bad things happen to good people? So from chapter 2 to chapter 37, all of this has taken place. Job says, why? Chapter 38 comes in, and God says this to Job after that. He says, Job, stand up, gird yourself, because I'm about to ask you a few questions. And from 38, 39, 40, and 41, it's questions like, where were you when I lit the sun? Where were you when I opened up the light and the dark? Where were you when, my, when I drugged the trenches of the ocean? Where were you? Where were you? Tell me how this happened. Surely you know. And by, verse 40, by chapter 42, Job opens up and he confesses. He says, God, you are God. There is none like you. He says, God, I, God, there is none like you. Your purposes and your plans, they cannot be thwarted. And essentially what Job did at that moment is he took his hands back and he said, God, I'm going to let you be God. Now, you realize that we don't actually let God be God. God is God. He does what he likes. But in our own minds, Sometimes we put holds on God. And so Job is saying, God, I'm going to let you be God. Did you realize that Job never got his question answered? Never did. There are questions in life we will never have answered. There are some questions in life that, that we're going to get. They will be answered, and we won't like the answer because it just doesn't jive with who we are or how we've always thought. When those things begin to happen in Scripture, God, I don't understand, but I know that you are good. I know that you are right. I know that you are holy. God, I know that you are loving. God, I know that you are all merciful. Yes, God, you are a God of justice, but that does not negate all these other things. And so, God, I submit to your word. God, I come under it, and I ask you, would you please speak to me? And, folks, I want you to hear this. Our questions, we need to bring them. We need to bring them. And we need to be asking God, God, speak to me. Speak to me. Illuminate your word. Help me to know. Our bottom line today is let God be God. Let God be God. Though we do not understand, God, we submit 
and we're going to let you be God today. So with that, Romans chapter 9, let's start looking at verse 19. Romans chapter 9, verse 19, we go on and we're going to go to the next set of questions. There's been questions that Paul has been answering. Paul writes theologically, then he anticipates a question, and then he answers it. And we're going to go to the next one now. Go back to the app and see the others. Paul says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? I've heard this question here recently. How is it that if we can't resist his will, that how is it then that he still holds me accountable? Now, uh, I'm about to give you a key. I don't like keys, you know, sermons that here's the key to, but I've got to give you one because this is key. The key to understanding and accepting the, the, that God is sovereign in salvation. And when we say God is sovereign in salvation, we mean this, that he chooses who. He elects who. Who he chooses. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, it means that there's not a leaf that blows across the ground that he didn't will or ordain. But yet also the scripture affirms the fact that there, man is responsible so here's the key. The key to saying, yes, God is sovereign and man is responsible is knowing that they're both in the word of God. They're both there. And though I'm going to confess to you, my mind cannot wrap, I can't get wrapped around that. I don't understand that. Yet I know that it's true. Why do I know it's true? Because God's word is trustworthy. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And it is there. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have asked this question. Here, so what was the key? You have to accept. You've got to embrace the mystery that both of those are taught. Both of those are taught. We have to embrace that. That doesn't mean that we have our minds completely wrapped around it. That doesn't mean that we've got this all tied up and worked out. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to go, well, I, I can't believe, I, yeah, I'm, and you're kicking. You're like getting mad and leaving. But what I also don't want you to have, do is this. I don't want you just to go, well, Pat said it, Kyle said it, then we just agree with that. Go on. Listen, no, that's, those aren't the right answers. This is deep and weighty stuff that we sit back and say, God, please speak to me. Help me to understand I, I don't understand, but I am submitting to your word, and I recognize. Some of you have asked this question. Hey, it, is this all new stuff? Have we made a change in what we're teaching and what we believe? No. I want you to hear that. Emphatically, no, we're not. This is stuff that we have thought. And since I've been here, I've been here 14 years. Can you believe that? 14 years I've been a part of this church, a part of this staff. And this is something we've always believed, and, and, and we've, we've taught but we've never done a series in Romans. We've never been in Romans 8 and 9 as a series walking through. And so when you hit those, you have to begin to address these things. I remember coming here and the former pastor, Dr. Ken Hubbard, his wife is still a part of our church, uh, Faye. Those of you who know Faye, uh, she'll always, if you ever meet Faye, you're a friend and she's going to remember you whether you're in the aisle at Kroger or you're walking down the street and she's going to know you and she's going to tell you about the church and say you need to come here. So just, she does that with everybody. Uh, Ken, when I came here, we were talking through, Pat, myself and Ken, we were talking through all kinds of 
theology things. And I remember Ken, Dr. Hubbard, saying this. He would say, boys, I was 35, but he was, boys, I want you to know this. This, this is truth. I can't explain it to you. He said, but it's like two doctrines. They're twin doctrines. He said, if you can imagine a big huge rope like there would be on a ship and somehow it's thrown up into heaven and it goes over a beam and comes down on one side and you got one side over here and he said these twin doctrines are one rope and he said they cross in heaven somehow some way and he said you can look up and wonder how it's happening but I can guarantee you this you have to hold on to both of those man's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And he said, the problem is, is when you let go of either one of them. He said, when you let go of either one of those, you're in trouble. So folks, I want you to know, this is not a change in direction. It's not a change in theology. This is true. We are now at a point where we have to go, listen, this is the word of God. And how does it work? How does it fit? I I don't know how they measure. I don't know how they balance, but I know that they are true. They are true. So how is it that God still finds fault? I can't answer that question for you. You have to lean in to the mystery here. We have to lean into that. Notice with me in verse 20 and 21. So we keep going. But who are you, O man? Does that sound like what was said to Job? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one lump, to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Now, here's what we have to be careful of, and this happens many times, is that we have a tendency, especially in our Western mindset, to value our choices over God's choices. We have a tendency to do that. But the Scripture teaches that we both, God is sovereign in salvation, and man is held responsible for his choices, meaning I make real choices and I have, I'm going to be held accountable. The Scripture talks about on the day of judgment, I'm going to bypass the whole heaven and hell. You know why? Because there was a day when my eyes were open and I responded to God in faith and I surrendered my life to him as Lord and Savior. That's covered, not because of anything I did, not anything I've done, It is because of Jesus Christ and his work finished on the cross. But there's going to be a day when I have to give an answer for how I live my life. The scripture says that I'm going to bring all the things that I've done. How does that work? I don't know, but he says I'm going to cast them at his feet. It's going to go as, it's going to be as through fire. Will it be, will it turn out to be precious jewels, gold, silver, or will it be wood, hay, and stubble. I'm going to give an account. You are going to give an account of how we have handled our life after Jesus Christ. Scripture even says that every idle word we give account for, wow, we are responsible. We cannot get away from that. But also we have to know that God is sovereign in the area of our salvation. He is the one that chooses 
Now, I'm going to stop here because I want to make sure, I want to make sure you hear this. This right here is where we have to go, okay, we're going to have a little, what I would call, uh, this would be crock pot, slow boil, slow, low heat, this series of messages and topics. Uh, Amy last night was making a stew, a stew for us at the house. You know how I cook? I cook on nine. I want it to boil fast. Turn it up. Let's get it on. Come on. It's time to happen. I'm like that in a lot of things, all right? You have to just kind of, Amy's coming behind, and she's going, no, we're going to turn that down. She said, because you want the, it's going to, it'll thicken. It'll get really good. The vegetables will get really soft. Listen, that's exactly what this type of series or this type of message is all about. This is a low heat crock pot time where we don't just come and go, got it. All right. It's a, no, 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 no. Listen, this is where we just, we have the fire really low. And I want you to hear this. The fire is not brought by people. We're asking the fire of the spirit. God, would your spirit just begin to teach? Help me to understand. You remember back, I think it's probably been two or three weeks ago, Pat's talked about how, uh, listen, this, this whole concept is not essential for our salvation. It's not essential for our salvation. Uh, this whole concept, though, is, a co- is something that is between brothers and sisters as we look, as we read, as we continue to keep moving on. And I can think of many people right now. There are some people I'm thinking of in my, in my mind who I would say in how they walk out their life, they would probably be m- much more godly than I am who still are just going, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure. Because I want you to hear this. This doctrine is not dependent on our sanctification. You need to hear that. But when we come to Scripture, we can't deny that it is there. And what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that work? How does that work? I, I wish I could tell you. Here's what I do know is that in Paul answering the question, in Paul answering the question, he evokes a, 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 an illustration that is it's the most popular illustration of God and his people in the Old Testament. It's the potter and the clay. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Look at this Isaiah passage. It's Isaiah 64. Isaiah 60, is that right? Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are Father... We are the clay and you are the, our potter. We are all the work of your hand. What, what, what happens here is that Paul leans into the mystery. He doesn't explain it away. He just shows and says, listen, oh man, who, who are we to tell the creator, the created, telling the creator, this is what you need to do. I mean, how does that work? Uh, those of you who have kids, those of you who have kids, if you don't have kids yet, you will and you will experience this. For the rest of us, you've experienced the fact where your kids, when they're four, five, six, they think they're smarter than you. You ever been there? Some of you are going, four, five, and six, I got an 18-year-old. What are you talking about? 
But more specifically, when they're four, five, and six, and you play this little game with them about who's the smartest, and at some point you let them win, and, oh, yeah, you're the smartest, you know. But then at some point, if you're like me, it kind of goes, no, uh uh-uh. Won't you tell me what 12 times 12 is, huh? Give me that. Can you tell me why is a Corvette faster than a Chevette? Can you got that, huh? Now, that seems a little funny, but that's kind of the way it is with a child to a parent. And then I step back and I think about this parent thinking to the infinite God that I'm more wise and understanding and knowledgeable than he is. When my life is but a sliver, he stands outside of time and sees all of time as one outside. He knows how it's all going to work, how it all happens. He planned it. That's like giving a jar of blue Play-Doh, I would say, to a small child, but to any of us. And you decide to take that lump of Play-Doh and you decide to cut it in half. And if you're like me, you make pencils and snakes real well. That's about all you're able to do. But you try to make a cup. And that pencil, snake, or cup did not look at any of us and say, this is what I want to be. This is what I want you to do with me. No, in that moment, the 4-year-old, the 14-year-old, the 44-year-old, or the 94-year-old made the decision of what to do. And I want you to see that in how did he do this? Why did he do this? I don't know. But I know that it is true that he is the creator and I am and the created. And I bend and move to his will, not mine. He doesn't do that. He doesn't bend to my will. So what does Paul do? Paul just leans into the mystery. He just leans into it and says, listen, this is what it is. Oh man, who are we? Who are we? We have to let God be God. Do you remember the, uh, many of you have probably read the book. I didn't read the book. I watched the movie. That's kind of my, my byline. I apologize. But Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. All right, C.S. Lewis. You remember the, that, that area in the book when Lucy is talking about Aslan and Mr. Beaver is there. And she's asking about Aslan and she, she asked about Aslan. She said, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver looks and says, what do you mean is he safe? Oh, no, no. Aslan is not safe, but he is good. He is the king. He said, I tell you, he is the king. Listen, when we don't understand something, we come and we submit, we bring our question to the Lord and we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate, but God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to come under it and I'm going to submit to that. And Father, I'm asking you now, yes, I see both of these, please help me. Please help me. But I want you to hear this. When you don't understand, and I'm going to go back, when you don't understand about the character of God or you're hearing something that you're not certain about, it doesn't negate what is clearly taught and what you do know in Scripture, that God is all-loving. He is all-powerful. He is all-merciful. He sees everything. He is gracious. 
He is good. He is loving. He is kind. In fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century Baptist preacher uh, in London, said this, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. Guys, listen in this, ladies, students, senior adult, there are some things that we cannot understand. There are questions that we're going to ask, and we go, God, I, I, I don't see your hand here. But we've got to be able to fall back in and say, but I trust your heart because I know, God, you are good. And my little slice, I don't see. I don't see. Help me, God. Help me to see. And we have to let God be God. Now, with these closing verses, look at verses 22 and 23 here. And I just tell you on the front end, these are difficult passages, but we're going to look at them and we're going to ask God to illuminate. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So here's the question. You realize that God has the right because he is sovereign. He has the right to condemn the wicked immediately if he so chose. Yet aren't we thankful that he didn't do that with us? Aren't we glad of that? Do you realize what mercy is? Mercy is the withholding of what we rightfully deserve. And what did I rightfully deserve? Death, hell, and damnation. Because I was born a sinner with a sin nature. I didn't become a sinner because I sinned. I am a sinner because I was born that way with a sin nature, just like all of us. Yet in time past, eternity past, Jesus looked down and he chose me, the scripture says, and you, if you follow Jesus Christ, he chose me before the foundation of the world to be his son. Not because of anything I've ever done, not because of anything I've ever done, just like Jacob and Esau. He said, I've chosen Jacob. I chose Jacob before Jewish Jacob over Jewish Esau, before they were ever born, before they could ever do anything. I chose them. And he's done that to me. Well, listen, do you know when I surrendered my life to him? It wasn't until I was 14 that my eyes were open. The scripture says he moved me as a dead man to life. For many of you, you understand that. He had the very right to condemn me immediately, yet he didn't. Why? Because he wishes that none would come, that, that would perish, that, they would all, that we would all come. But we know, he knows that we will not. But he chose me. And he's chosen you. Now the scripture says, what if he's using those vessels for our good, those who are vessels of mercy? I think this is most evidently seen in, in Judas. 
Here's Judas, arguably the most wicked man ever because he actually turned our Lord and Savior over to the authorities. Yet on the night that he betrayed Jesus, prior to going and taking the 30 pieces of silver, the scripture says Jesus knew what was about to happen and said, you need to go do that. Before that happened, the Lord washed his feet. Jesus washed his feet. Might it be that this was one last opportunity of God opening the door for repentance of Judas before. One theologian, and I want to make sure you hear this, and I say it right, one theologian said he was once again opening the gate of repentance. Maybe, just maybe one last opportunity. Now what I don't think, and I want you to hear this, I, I don't, the question is, so do you think God just made ves- people, vessels, of wrath so that he could destroy them? No, I do not believe that. Listen, go back. I don't think the way that he saves and the way that he damns are the same. Listen, the way that he moves upon us to open our eyes, there is the Holy Spirit who comes upon us, opens our eyes. We respond in faith that he has given us so that we can at once say, you are God and worship before you. Where was I before then? I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And though he chooses and moves upon some, he doesn't on others. He doesn't act on them. Meaning this, because this question has come. Do you mean that, does that mean that he, in, he, he makes them sin or he, makes, he infuses them to sin? He makes them evil? No. No, the scripture says that God does not tempt us to do wrong. We were born with a sin nature. We do that on our own anyway, okay? We do that on our own, so we continue to go on. Remember, why do we go to hell? The Scripture is very clear. Because we reject Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We do not believe in him and submit our lives to him. God is always responsible for our salvation and man is always held accountable for their actions of not submitting. Now, once again, how does that work? I don't know. I can't explain it. But I know that it is true based on the word of God. Based on the word of God, it is true. And though I can't see it, And though my Western mindset rationalizes things and we got to have things all in boxes, I can't explain it. But it makes it no less true because this word is true, infallible, inerrant, inspired by the Spirit of God to reveal to man about him and about our responsibility before him. Spurgeon once again was asked this question. He said, how, how do you reconcile man's responsibility and God's sovereignty? And quickly, Charles Spurgeon just looked at the person and said, I, I never try to reconcile friends. Folks, I, what he's saying is that these two doctrines, twin doctrines, are in the Scripture everywhere. And that though we don't understand it, we can't explain it. It is. And we submit to that 
under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean we don't continue to ask. That doesn't mean we don't continue to struggle with the Scripture and God help us. Illuminate my eyes. Pull back. You know, the Scripture says that today we look through a glass dimly. One day, though, we will see clearly. Oh, that we wait for that day. But today, we, we trust. And when the Scripture, listen, when I'm, when I'm, God, thank you for the mercy you've poured out upon me. But God, what about here? What about this one? Listen, at that point, you know what my prayer is? God, would you have mercy on them? God, would you save them? And here's the still, small voice that I hear. God, just as I, Kyle, just as I chose you, and just as I ordained that Don would tell you about my son Jesus, I have many sheep that need to know about Christ. I have many sheep that I want to call. And Kyle, how about you? I'm calling you today to speak to that one. Folks, listen, don't stand as it says in Romans and kick against the goads. I don't believe, I don't understand. Listen, God, use me. In your process, in your plan of redemption, use me. Rather than being upset, what about this? What? Maybe it's you that he's calling to go and share so that he can redeem lost ones who are far from him. I want to look at one last passage of, go to Psalm 31, 131. Psalm 131. Uh, we talked about at the very beginning that we're climbing Mount Romans. In the scripture, Jerusalem is always up, always up, up. That's people are always going up to Jerusalem. One, it was a holy mountain. It literally is higher in elevation. But as the Jewish people would, would ascend Mount Jerusalem, Mount Zion, uh, as they were going to worship, they would sing or recite psalms. And there were about... I, I want to say 14, 15, 16 different songs of ascent, they're called. And this is Psalm 131. I want you to look at it. It says, a song of ascent of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In this psalm, verse 1, the psalmist says, listen, he's in despair. He's not certain. He says, listen, my eyes are not lifted up. My heart is not high and God, there are things that are so great that I, I don't understand. That's verse 1. Do you, do, I recognize myself in that. Do you recognize yourself in that where sometimes you go, God, I, I, I don't know. I, I, your ways are so great. Help me. That next verse is very specific in its language when it says it's like a weaned child. And they're making a very clear distinction between a newborn and a, and a very, and an infant who has to have the mother's milk, who is a nursing child. And all they can have is milk. 
And they, they, they might scream, they might cry, and the only way they are satiated is unless they get that milk. But now he talks about and makes a distinction. He says, but I'm like the weaned child. The weaned child happens somewhere around three, four, five. You ladies are going, oh, my word. Somewhere around three, four, or five, that weaned child, the Scripture says. He says, I'm like a weaned child. I've calmed and I've quieted. Do you know there are times when those young children, moms, you know this, when nothing works except for them to come and sit right up next to you, crawl up in your lap, and you are the only one who can quiet them. The world may be falling around. The Scripture says, hope, O Israel, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And today, listen, for many of us, we're moving off the milk of the Word and we're going into solid food. And we're struggling. There are some mysterious things that are happening. We don't understand it. God, this is a mystery uh, these questions, they're so lofty. God, they're big. Help me to understand. But in the meantime, God, I just want to sit near you and be comforted. God, you are loving. You are trustworthy. You are merciful. Yes, God, you are a God of justice, but you have saved me. You are full of grace. And today, God, I... I, I and today, O Smyrna, O Life Point. Rest and find your hope in the Lord. Today, there are some of you in here, you have never surrendered and submitted your life to Christ. And I want you to hear me today. Hear this, hear this. If you're in the sound of my voice right now, the Spirit of God is calling you. He is speaking to some of you right now. And he is saying, talking to you. It's like you feel what he's saying is right. The Spirit speaking here, he's saying is right. Surrender to me today. And you know, after this service, we're going to share in communion in just a few moments. We're going to give our tithes and offerings in worship. When we're done, I'm going to be at the next steps, and I'm inviting you. The Holy Spirit of God has opened your eyes, and I'm inviting you today would you respond to him? There are some of you who will walk away. You'll walk away. But today, he's calling you. And our responsibility is to respond in faith. Today, maybe you are a follower of Christ and you're going, this is crazy. I, I mean, this is stuff is blowing my mind. Listen, uh, for you today, follower of Christ, I would say, Come under the scripture and say, God, I don't understand it. Holy Spirit, I need you to illuminate. But I am I'm submitting to what you say. I recognize it's there. Help me to understand. Help me to understand. Heavenly Father, we honor you and we magnify only you today. Holy Spirit, I'd ask that today... If I've gotten in the way, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do the work that only you can do. Would you be the one who illuminates, who calls people to Jesus Christ? 
Would you give them the ability to respond affirmatively? We love you and we honor you. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we ask these things.